Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. Welcome to another exciting episode of The Final Word Cricket Podcast. Jeff Lemon with you, Adam Collins with me, and it is Squad Goals Day. We've had the England squad released, we've had the India squad released, and the Australia squad released for the World Cup. Uh, a couple of others as well. We are not imperialist tools of the ICC, but we are going to do the big three today, because that's <laughs> where there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of interest, a lot of talking points, and we will come to some of the other squads in future weeks. But there's, you know, we know ourselves, we will do a four and a half hour podcast if we try to do every squad. (laughs) That's right. Before doing so, I note that you're still in the UK. Can't kick you out of the country at the moment because you've gone and done the bloody double, Jeff. Last week, you won the Wisdom Book of the Year and last night, you won the Cricket Society MCC gong for their Book of the Year over there in the the long room. They're going to have to call it the Jeff Lemon Room over there by the time (laughs) they're finished just racking up the awards. Um, So congratulations again for um, your book, Steve Smith's Men. Um, What what next? Nobel Peace Prize? Mate, literature. Come on. Stay relevant. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, true enough. Yeah, um, I, I genuinely never thought I'd be let into the long room, and so I've been in there twice. So I can stand up there and give a speech twice. One hundred percent strike rate. It's bizarre. It's um, yeah, it's 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 bizarre, but it's lovely. It's it's a I don't know. You look at that list. I'm the fiftieth winner. How about that? Yeah, they started that in 1970. I wonder how many have done the double, and we have to go back and trace this. How many people have won the Wisden MCC? It's like the League Cup double, or you know, the World Cup Ashes double. If we're talking about 2019, it's the League Champions Trophy. Come on. You know, yeah, don't, exactly. don't undersell it. Yeah. <laughs> All the same, we're always a bit blase about it, aren't we? You got, you got, you sent me a message last night saying you're right. I've won X. I kind of was urging you. I was stressing all week you were going to do this. I, I, I had no doubt that. in my mind you didn't believe it. I but, thought, well, I mean, like, oh yeah, you've won it. Oh yeah, good on you. Well done, mate. Good stuff. I, I looked at the quality of the shortlist. I mean, getting on the shortlist is astounding, and I like the way they run that award. But it's very, the focus is very much on the shortlist. They have mm. each of the six shortlisted authors come up and speak and tell their tell the crowd about their book, and um, you know, up against. Simon Wilde's book, his biography of English cricket, which took four years to write mm. and is a, a masterpiece of scholarly work. And I, I just thought on on the basis of work alone, he probably deserved the gong. But um, he was very gracious in, in saying similar things the other way. So everybody on that list, Mihir Bose won that list when I think I was in grade two, um, <laughs> was when, when he first won it. <laughs> and, you know, Mike Brearley up there, one of the great thinkers on the game. So lovely to be on there but um, I've, I've got to learn how to take compliments because I find it awkward. Yeah, no, it's been a huge week for you so it's been great to have you here. We're actually still at Law 
Lords. So last week we recorded both parts of the podcast here at Lords, and this morning we were here listening to Ed Smith speak about England's World Cup squad, their provisional squad, I stress. So mm. there's this two-step process. Um, this week is the cutoff for the the 15, but then you can you can recalibrate it before May the 23rd. So that's where England have bought themselves some space to bring Joffre Archer into calculations. I think we all knew this was going to happen, and the way they've done it, you know, quite cleverly, is is adding him to the one day squad uh, for the five uh, internationals they play against Pakistan, one against Ireland, as well as the T20 against Pakistan in the mixer as well. So he'll get that chance to play a bunch of white ball cricket for England before they're forced to submit their final squad ahead of the tournament beginning on the 30th of May. Here is Ed Smith on Joffre Archer and his possible inclusion. Joffre Archer is a very exciting and talented player. This is the first time he's been eligible for England and we've taken the opportunity to pick him in the first cricket we could, which is the Ireland uh, 50 over game, the Pakistan T20, and then obviously as part of the 17-man squad in the bilateral series against Pakistan. So Joffre Archer is a very exciting cricketer. There was a broad desire from all the decision makers the selection panel to give him the opportunity to play for England before the World Cup and before we make the final decision in just over a month. Two of England's senior players, Josh Butler, vice-captain, and also Ben Stokes uh, are all-rounder, so they will have been around Joffre and will have played with him, they'll know him, so that's uh, only a good thing. Also, Chris Jordan is a, is a good friend and colleague of, of Joffre's at Sussex, and now obviously in, in the one-day squad. So yes, we have a, a good amount of knowledge about Joffre, not only through our eyes, um, but also through people who have played with and against him. Um, someone like Owen Morgan has played a lot against Joffre as well. So all that evidence comes together and you make your decision and the decision is the selection panel would like to give opportunity to Joffre Archer in the run-up to the World Cup. So they've bought themselves a fair bit of wiggle room. They've got the 15 but they've got the 17 as well. Depending what happens in the next few weeks that could change. There's always that chance that someone picks up an injury as well but uh, you'd imagine that anyone in the initial 15 would be pretty stiff to miss out. So what we thought we would do on the final word today is to bring in a friend of ours. He's the England correspondent for Crick Buzz for Dushan Ahantaraja, of course, been on the show before in the past in different incarnations. Vish, you've been following the, the Joffre Archer career arc perhaps closer than anyone since he broke through with Sussex a few seasons ago. I think we all knew what was going to happen today, but, but it is a big milestone. It kind of come in stages, really, because he comes into international cricket and plays for Sussex, made his debut back in 2016, and you know, the noise is already beginning. Who is this kid? How good can he be? Will he play for England? And then we find out about qualification period. So the next thing to tick off is those 210 days. He's got to do three years in a row of residency in the UK to ensure that he fully qualifies, despite the fact that he is a British passport holder and his dad is English. And then that day comes in, um, you know, February, February time, end of February. So we get to a stage where he's in the squad. He's in the preliminary, or so rather, he's not in the preliminary 15, but he's in that squad for, for Pakistan with a view to breaking into that 15 without having ever playing international cricket um, for England or, or anyone in particular. Oh, I think the qualification story is, uh, is something that we've all been watching pretty closely. So, by way of background, England some time ago uh, extended the period to seven years because there was the enduring criticism that, you know, the England cricket team was almost reflective of the Commonwealth um, more so than, 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 the, than the British Isles and, of course, so many famous England cricketers didn't come from England. So, I think, uh, I'm not sure whether this was the intention or otherwise, but that did grow to seven years and they narrowed it to three years and Conveniently enough, that, that 
that, that of course, means that Jofra is available to play in this World Cup. Now, I mean, I'm sure it's not as crude as that, but, I mean, you've been, as I say, following this story from the get-go. How did it happen to be that um, when Jofra started this qualification process, it was going to be seven years, and now it's three, and now he's able to play in the World Cup? Well, the seven-year ruling was brought in exclusively by the ECB to try and get a better flow of youngsters from, I suppose, the top to bottom of the English game. Because mm. in going back to three years, they're actually coming in line with every other ICC nation yeah. because it is three years across the board. Seven years was brought about because of this, um, I mean, I'm going to use the word problem here, but it's probably a bit harsh, but because of this problem with players coming over from other countries, primarily South Africa, coming over here and being able to get callback registrations and or through EU passports, I suppose, come in and play as local players within the system and thereby taking opportunities away from um, from English uh, talent. And I suppose in the current... English climate, jobs for well, English that's talent. That's the thing, yeah. In the current they climate, come over here, <laughs> they take our all-rounder spots in the middle order. Scored our runs and taken our wickets, yeah. Um, but it, I suppose... The one thing I've I've always quite enjoyed about the English side is that it's it's always been quite reflective, certainly in recent years, of, of modern-day Britain. And we have the example of the fact that the, one of the major, I suppose, success points of this ODI side has been the has been our you know Muslim spin twins of Moen Ali and Adil Rashid. Adil Rashid born in Bradford, Moen Ali born in Birmingham. And and I, as a British Asian, I've I've always adored that. I've always adored having that representation in there. What you know what they what they meant to do with that seven year period wasn't necessarily to exclude anyone. It was just to try and ensure that the onus was on the counties actually to not take any kind of short term moves to success and actually try and promote their own. And then in bringing it down to three years, let's not pretend that Joffre Archer hasn't been a huge factor in that because right. he absolutely has. Always keen to distinguish himself from Geoffrey Archer, though, which is, <laughs> yeah. you know, can get a bit awkward. You at know times. what? He does everything. He could probably write as well. <laughs> <laughs> Pop him in the Lords. Yeah. Pop him in jail. <laughs> a man for all seasons. <laughs> We've gone down a tangent fairly early on. So, I mean, Listen, we, just just to be clear, I don't want to jail Joffrey Archer. No, he God is it such he, to use the cliche. He's an excitement machine. Some of the stuff we saw him do in the Big Bash, the the sort of laconic run out from long off, is the one that stays in my mind. Just casually going to nail the stumps from about seventy meters away, and you know, just turn around and wave to the crowd. Yeah, the court and bold, some huge. Hitting, we've seen him do it at the IPL as well. Because he's only played 14 games of list day cricket, which is a, a criticism of his selection that he hasn't actually played much 50 over white ball cricket at, at domestic level, and and whether that should um, see him advance so fast in this particular format. But well, Ed Smith this morning was quick to cut that off at the pass, wasn't he? I mean, he kind of made the point that Archer's skills, being a fast bowler, are transferable enough. And is that uh, typically where um, where where you've where you've landed on this as well that a player of his capacity that you can't afford to wait you've got to pick him while he's ripe yeah I, I think there are two things there one is the talent which is so clear to everyone with even half an interest in the game that this guy is ready for international cricket has been ready for international cricket for the last year or so yeah the other part of it is that Ed Smith as as a man and a selector I suppose is infatuated with franchise cricket. He has been since before he had this role with England. You know, he did some work with the Royal Challengers Bangalore a couple of years ago as a batting consultant and also on the, on the strategy side of things as well. And even in his writing days, it was something that he, he always looked into and always had a fascination with, with statistics, but, but also the franchise system. 
And it's interesting in the, in the last two years, or I suppose, sorry, in the last year since he's had the job, he's picked Joss Butler out of franchise cricket to come into the test side. And today is as one of his reasons for not just picking Joffrey Archer, but also in picking Joe Denley, who hasn't played an ODI in 10 years now, but also in Chris Jordan, that franchise cricket is a universal format now to be taken seriously, in not just in terms of discourse and, um, I suppose, in the, in the general cricketing public, but also in selection meetings. They, there is an onus on looking at those performances in front of packed cr- crowds, in different conditions, in different setups, because your role changes from franchise to franchise, sure. and taking it seriously. And I think that's one of the more interesting things that I've found from today, because the squad really picks itself, but the reasons behind it have, um, yeah, very much rooted in, in T20 cricket. I, I think Joe Denley also just proves that there's someone there with a longer qualification period than Joffre. He's had to wait <laughs> 10 years. So, you know, and he kind of got back in the, in the conversation really through the big bash. I mean, you go back mm. two, two exactly, years ago, yeah. he went and did a, a short-term shift. I'm not sure who he was replacing at the time it was in that really long big bash season when they extended it and I think he played four or five games and did well with bat and ball came back to England that was the the, 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 the propelled him into an excellent um, season here in 2018 and, and by the end of the summer he was in the national squad or certainly was for the winter tours and, and a former teammate of Ed Smith's as well so Smith would know what he's capable of doing and, and was doing before he you know uh, went away and had that long period in the wilderness yeah and I like to the point that he can cover for any spot in the top seven, basically, batting-wise, but he's also a very useful white ball spinner, so he could actually almost play as a spinner if he needed to. Yeah, yeah. So I looked at the numbers from last year's Royal London One Day Cup, which is the domestic 50-over competition um, over here in England, and of the alternates they could have picked, he's not the... He, he wasn't the highest English run scorer that's not in this squad, because that's James Vince. James Vince... Um, Led Hampshire to the to the title last year. He's not James Vince, and he's also not the leading leg spinner. He wasn't the leading leg spinner in the competition last year, with Matt Parkinson leading the way mm. with wickets, and also young Mason Crane, uh, Ashes, uh, Ashes Davison, Mason Crane, um, higher up on the charts as well. But he scored four hundred odd runs. He took fourteen wickets, and to have that in one player is invaluable. Look, he, you know, he, he's very much the utility pick. You know, he's not gonna. He's not going to usurp Bairstow, Roy, or even Alex Hales as, you know, in the top order, and he's not going to play instead of Adil Rashid or Moen Ali. But you have someone there who can do both roles, and crucially, when you're talking about tournament cricket, occupies only one spot instead of two. It's sort of an off-field point, but it's worth touching on, is that um, the influence of Caribbean immigration to the England side. It used to be huge in the 80s and 90s, of course, some famous cricketers that came through that England side, but it has dropped off considerably. I think is there eight professional players in the country right now who come from Afro-Caribbean heritage and now having Jofra Archer, Chris Jordan, you mentioned before. He's not in the World Cup squad yet, but he's had a brilliant uh, tour of the West Indies uh, in, in T20 cricket. Is it noticeable the effort being made um, around the country, particularly in London, I suppose, to make sure that a generation of, of kids who have been sort of lost to the game, perhaps since Sky took over and it went off terrestrial television that's one theory that does the rounds but in any case that there there are some role models to look up to in the England side I would say in terms of stuff being done uh, no like nowhere near enough really especially from from the ECB I think mostly the target audience has been the the Asian audience because they make up such a big part of certain cities but I'd say in terms of black or Caribbean influence on cricket has been waning and the fact that Jordan and Archer are are in this position to potentially break into a World Cup squad isn't necessarily reflective of what England have done. Right. More that, that actually it's, it's probably 
I suppose it's probably the worst of British and the worst of, of, of English cricket, given that Jordan was brought over here as part of a scholarship to a private school. Um, Bill Athey, I think it was, sorry guys, just saw him playing in Barbados and thought, well, you'd be really good for our school team and you might, you'd probably play county cricket as well. And it just so happened that Chris Jordan knew that there was this young kid from Barbados who was you know, a bit disgruntled with the, with the local system, got him over for a few stints playing club cricket in Sussex and... Lo and behold, you know, they're both on that 17 to play against Pakistan. Um, what they could do, though, is, you know, be role models for, for young black kids who actually haven't really cast an eye at the sport. They've been preoccupied maybe with, with other sports like football, which not, and we're not talking about pay here. There's just more visible black representation in football than there is in cricket. As you mentioned there, you know, eight or nine players who play county cricket. County cricket's not on TV. Um, and, you know, apart from Daniel Beldrummond, I'd hazard to say that, you know, they has well, Beldrummond, Keith Barker, probably the only two are playing regular first-team cricket at the moment. Yeah, I interviewed Daniel Beldrummond a couple of weeks ago down at Canterbury, and he's doing amazing work. And when you wish you, you brought it to my attention, really, the platform program that he's running uh, with a bunch of uh, school kids, I think 400 school kids in South East London. That's where he grew up. Um, he, you know, got a great opportunity to play cricket at a young age at private schools and so forth. And he was on the, on the, on the, on the route to professional cricket at a young age, but he's, I guess putting back into his local community to help develop uh, young players, not just black players, I should add. He's keen to stress that it's a, a socioeconomic problem. It's not just about um, what race players uh, originate from. It's whether they get the opportunities to see cricket and get the opportunity to get the uh, rudimentary skills and visibility to the game at, at a young age. And, and it seems to have had yeah that biggest effect on, on the black community who, yeah, again, you, you think about 80s and 90s England cricket, one of the most dominant themes were players coming from that kind of background. Yeah, it's um, it's probably most telling when you visit the Oval, not just when the West Indies are playing, but period, because you see some old photos when they were playing Test cricket at the Oval, and I wouldn't say there's an even split, but there's, a, there's certainly a greater Afro-Caribbean makeup of, of those squads, particularly in front of the Pavilion. There's always that area yeah. which used to be, it seemed to be where they where they congregate, and maybe because of being priced out and or just not being made to feel as welcome in the game as they once were, but that seems to have disappeared entirely. It definitely jumped out at me the first time I came over here. You go down to Brixton, which is a massively Caribbean area of London. It's a couple of stops down the line from the Oval. It seems like such a natural thing that that part of town should have such a, a strong influence. And those some of those 70s, 80s tests were almost West Indies home games. There was such a, a turnout in the crowd. You look at a crowd at the Oval now and it's it's much more white. Mm. And it seems bizarre that things could have gone backwards. But then you look at, you know, 150 quid for a, a ticket to come to one day of a test match or whatever it might be. It seems like cricket in this country has, or at least at the top level, has been positioned as something for wealthy people to do rather than something for everyone to do. And maybe that's a simplistic for me as an outsider, but that's the... The, the general sort of impression that I get. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely trickled down as well to grassroots level because back in the day they used to have so many kind of Caribbean um, cricket clubs and they'd, they'd always be quite strong. They'd always tour. Certainly in Birmingham there was um, you know, quite a strong system that were also ingrained in the general Birmingham system of a real collective of Caribbean clubs who would... Um, Invariably, end up winning a few things here and there, and often hosting games when the when the West Indies would come to town. And now there's only one. I think Handsworth Cricket Club is the mm. uh, the only kind of uh, uh, the only active Caribbean club who now have to rely a lot more on on Asian players just to keep going. And 
not to say that they, they weren't open to other people before, but they could rely on the fact that the large majority of their club were made up by uh, by Caribbean Caribbean players, and now it just isn't the case whatsoever. And they're still going, they're still going strong, but I suppose they lose a bit of that identity and are seen less as a hub for the Caribbean people and more as just a you know, bog-standard um, flat-pack cricket club. In terms of the World Cup and, and Archer's prospects, you'll have to get past... I guess one of the three W's, Wokes, Wood or Willie or uh, Plunkett or Curran, they're the five fast bowlers in the squad. Who's most vulnerable going into the five one days against Pakistan? I'm not sure whether the Ireland game will be as important due to the way they're rotating the squad there. But in those five one days that are, that are played in England, who are the player or who would be the main player that, that Archer would have to um, knock out of the way? I suppose the most vulnerable, um, ironically, is the, the one England bowler who's Quotes in the last week have been the less, well, been the least punchy, um, and that's Liam Plunkett. Right. Liam Plunkett spoke quite well and quite honestly at the Surrey Open Day, Surrey Media Day. Uh, yeah, he did. Yeah, about yeah. basically saying that you know what he's he's a very good player, and if he comes in, that wouldn't be a shock to anyone. And if it happens to be for me, then so be it. The other bowlers, David Willey, Mark Wood, Chris Works, have been. A bit punchier, albeit it's worth going out and seeking their quotes in full to to get the full story. They've not so much been against Archer's inclusion, just accepting the fact that it'll be harsh on whoever misses out, and and it will be harsh on the players who've got England to this position over the last four years. But assuming yeah. he does get picked, yes, yeah. Um, I mean, it, let's be fair, he will. <laughs> yeah, absolutely <laughs> should. But so so is this sort of seventeen thing? Is this just a way of softening the blow? Are they sort of trying to ease him in gradually? Sort of. Well, I, I kind of cheekily thought that not only is it a way of easing him in gradually, but Chris Jordan's presence is that well, you know, all the other bowlers have been having a go at him. So if we get his mate in there, if it does kick off, at least he's got backup. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd be gutted if Plunkett missed out on the basis. Yeah, and he would. It's be. a great yeah. story. I mean, Australian fans might remember him bowling Australia out at the SCG in January two thousand and seven. Like it goes back a really long way and the way he reinvented himself as a white ball cricketer um, after getting a brief stint in the test side it should be said in around about 2014 he was leading the attack briefly I think in Anderson's absence there and you know that, he, that he's came so far only to um, you know fall at the final hurdle here it, it, it would be it would be deeply unfair uh, and, and by the same token if he does get a chance to play in that World Cup squad and, and sign off with you know with a major trophy um, that would be that would be you know quite the fairy tale given you know how long he was out of it it took him I think I think I'm right in saying it took me a decade to play 51 days. Like it was such a long period of time where he was in and out, never quite able to nail it. Now he's truly become the most dependable England bowler in those middle overs. Well, that's a crucial thing. It's the middle overs element to it. I think outside of um, spinners, when you're talking about exclusively um, pace bowlers, certainly for English ones, it's Liam Plunkett leads the line in terms yeah. of wickets taken in the middle order. Or middle overs, pardon me. I, I think the other thing that could come into play here is the fact that in Mark Wood and Chris Wokes, England's two leading white ball seam bowlers, they're both they're both very injury prone, and even currently there are doubts about Chris Wokes. Now he's returning to bowling this week, but he's certainly someone who you you hope wouldn't be relied upon to play all the pool games mm. for the World Cup. You'd Ideally, they'd, they'd save him for the for the for the bigger fixtures, if that's not unfair to say. But also, I don't think he can play two games in in four days. Certainly, he didn't out in the West Indies in the recent tour over there, and that is something to seriously consider because he's hopefully going to play a part in the Ashes. Ideally, that's what they've got him penciled in for. And so, you do wonder if actually the decision might be taken out of selectors' hands if. 
comes to a point where they've got to pull the trigger on whether they think Chris Woke can be in that in that um, World Cup squad or Mark Wood might have a flare up of his ankle. You know, the decisions may be made for them. So that's could, could they pick them all? I mean, I was thinking about this before. That I mean, Denley's spotting the side. Jeff, you're right that he covers a lot of bases, but he's essentially the second spare batsman. When you when you scale it all back, he's the eighth batsman, right? So given the number of all rounders, yeah, yeah. So in the event that um, someone you know turns in turns their ankle on game morning, well, Alex Hales plays, doesn't he? I mean, and also yes, there's yeah. the ability to bring, as we're going to talk about with Australia later later in the show, you, you, you've got endless supply of players in the country to use as injury cover if, if it comes to that, and they can you know within the, the, the tournament conditions you can take a player out and put one in if someone is injured so to that end maybe they only need the one spare bat and they can afford to have that extra cover with the fast bowlers so they can rotate through that early stage of the tournament remember there's there's nine group games um, which is you know without precedent for a World Cup so I don't know I, I think that, that that's something that surely will come under consideration yeah there, there is a serious home advantage for this World Cup not least with the fact that England could have a full ODI series before even you know, having to finalise that squad on, on May 23rd. But also, the, because of this weird quirk in the World Cup, if you have an injury at any point, you can call up a replacement. Yeah. What? Why are the squads capped at 15? You know, what's the point? Is it just to create talking points and get publicity? I feel like it's... Well, that was another thing, because... Remember back in the day, preliminary squads used to be 30, 30. Jobs, when yeah. they left Dean Jones out, I nearly rioted. <laughs> <laughs> Dean Jones should still be batting number three for Australia in this World Cup, if you ask me, mind. Pretty shame Warner agrees as well. But. Probably. Get a collage at the very least. Cassie Short, get him in there. <laughs> <laughs> Warnie had his say. But I feel like a lot of um, a lot of why we do things now is dictated to the various issues that you would have had back in the day, you know, pre-air travel and things like that, that we, we can only have this many people because only this many people fit on, mm. fit on a plane. Right. You, can, you have to play ODIs and T20s together together with Tess because otherwise we're going to have to take a boat back and forth and yep. drag out the three players we did for the ODI side. <laughs> like, yeah, there, I mean, there, there is no reason for it. Um, I mean, people say, people might say, oh, it'll become a bit of a circus. But will it? You know, would it be that big of an issue if we were if we were able to be that fluid with it? Let's have a quick look at the broader England squad. It's all about batting power, basically. Owen Morgan, Jason Roy, Johnny Bester, Joss Butler, Alex Hales. Blimey. That's that's the the artillery, and then Joe Root comes in and plays the the sort of he weaves it all together. He's the the much calmer, the one who can bat through the innings. And then in terms of all-rounders, they've got a fair bit of batting firepower there when you look at Ben Stokes, Moen Ali, Tom Curran, Adil Rashid, David Willey, Chris Wokes, all of them very, very capable with the bat. So that that sort of power first seems to be, that's the way that England have gone the last few years. Yeah, yeah. It, it kind of, as, as things all seem to do now, this also links back to Archer a little bit because one of England's problems over the years has been death bowling. They've not really been able to close out games or close out an innings. And they've got away with it because they just end up scoring just so many runs and scoring them so quickly. So, yeah, I mean, the, the batting, we've seen that they are susceptible to some quite big failures. There's obviously the Champions Trophy uh, semi-final against Pakistan in 2017. There was also that game at Adelaide, I believe. Yeah, eight for six, whatever eight it was. Eight for six. Were at Lord, we're at Lords now. They um, yes, yeah, South Africa. Yeah. South Africa. Yeah, they were blown apart. Twenty for five or something. Yeah, yeah maybe yeah. even worse actually. Yeah. So they, they, they are they are susceptible to those. But, but I love about them though. What I love about this team is I asked Owen Morgan about this a couple of weeks. He's like, yeah, that'll probably. He, he all but said that will probably happen at some stage during yeah. the World Cup. Yeah. And and the and the key for the England side is not to let it destroy them. So when they are bowled out for 140 against 
Sri Lanka on a Turner or something like that, um, that they don't let it affect and infects their next performance. It's a great attitude. I mean, I guess provided it doesn't happen in the semi-final or the final, then no real concerns. Of course, if it were to, then the World Cup campaign goes up in smoke. But that's the nature of elimination cricket, isn't it? When you get to the final four, you just got to you got to dance with the one. Anything could happen. Yeah, you've just got to do what you do best. And uh, yeah, I, I would be more concerned if I were an English fan if they were worried about those days when the wheels do fall off. I think they've just got to accept the fact that at some point they will. You say that as an Australian, though, and that is a very Australian mindset, and that's why you win. <laughs> because generally, there will there will be people who are already fearful of that semi-final collapse, mm. of that 100, 140 all out coming in the semi-final. Because I, I, I'm going to say it's because it's what we're ingrained to think, but I mean... But the Champions Trophy, yeah. wasn't the criticism of the Champions Trophy that they did play too conservatively? I mean, like that is to say they, 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 they turned up the volume, lost wickets, and then they kind of never got the ball ticking over quickly enough. I, I don't think they'd make that kind of strategic error if that makes sense like, I think if they're going to go down they're going to go down in a in a ball of flames and give themselves every op- you know Jeff ran through the depth of the batting lineup. I think what's that stat about every one of them's made a first class ton you know or yeah, the vast yeah. bulk of them have and, and can seriously play you would hope so but I've never met any group of supporters more scared about losing a series than 2013 when England were 2-0 up in the ashes yeah if everybody I spoke to, oh well, they're just gone now. You know, there's no chance now. Obviously, the Australians will come back. Even you know, that, they, <laughs> they, they, terrified is the natural state of the English cricket supporter. Even that, even that, that final test in Sydney in the ten eleven Ashes. Yeah. Part of me was like, right, don't do you know? Don't wear trainers into the, you know, into the members area. Don't do anything that they can turn around and say, you know what? Yeah, you've won it, but. That was out of order. We're going to have to take the ashes back. <laughs> just, just be as polite as you. Just don't give them anything. Don't give them any reason. Be as polite. Clean up after yourself. He's, he's really going to get to excuse that. Excuse me, mate. You've got to use a spoon for the chewing gum pellets in the bowl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's you know, it, England. England fans know the kind of team they have. They know how big the strides have been made over the last few years. They also know that this is. The best opportunity that they've ever had, really, to win a World Cup and be such, be be so, I suppose, heavily rated going into such a tournament, and for that very reason, they've never been more scared. It's well, Ed Smith addressed it today, didn't he? He said that, that that's what happens when you win a lot of games of cricket; you become the favourite, and and how you deal with that pressure is how they've been preparing for the last year or so since they've genuinely carried that tag. Vish, it's been um, let's keep him. Let's keep Vish for for a bit of nerd pledge. Oh, sorry, he, he I, I, I was going to let him go, but he, he Vish knows, says he's done. He knows could come in handy. All right, so, okay, so, you caught so, a good audible here, Jeff. So Play with is, it. This is yeah, big thanks to everyone who's on the patron page. Patrons are means by which you can support the podcast. You can chuck us a couple of bucks per episode if you want to do that sort of thing it's at patron.com slash the final word some people have been telling me that i'm supposed to pronounce it as patreon or something it is spelled p-a-t-r-e-o-n but i don't care it's it's trying to be patron that's what the word's <laughs> trying to be i'm gonna say it anyway i'm sticking with gif and i'm sticking with patron but it's not gif some people say the guy who invented it reckons it's gif first word is graphics it's graphics interface also it's while we're here anyway. it's, it's pronounced a yeah, actually 
but you know um, he's given up though even when you consider that even he now goes no just Labashane's fine, fine mate I heard him interviewed on radio this week Labashane by the way he actually now sounds like Justin Langer they're, they're morphing into the one human being we'll return to that in, in later on I'm sure he's just gonna pull off the mask <laughs> and it was JL all along all, of, all his brothers are actually just Justin Langer <laughs> just loves playing cricket he's, no he's just having a second test career <laughs> he thinks he's good enough but he knows no one would pick him at his age so he's developed this new identity where did he oh, I just suddenly popped up from South Africa no one had seen him or heard of him before. He says he's got a South African name, but he can't pronounce it. Oh, you join the dots. Yeah. A bit of fake fielding. You know, whoops, I just knocked the bales off. You know, it's all coming together. So, so, fake fielding. So a lot of people have been signing up on the Patreon page, the and rather than saying like $2, the they've been saying like $2.70 or whatever it is. It's a game called Nerd Pledge, which we've accidentally oh, developed, yes. yeah. where they'll give us a number and we'll try to work out what's going on. Uh, first of all, a big thanks to Ross Chapman, who signed up with a regular pledge. He's the only regular pledge. This week. Oh, really? So I, I like that. It's non- nonconformity <laughs> by being conformist. Uh, Ross Chapman, I'm going to say that he was uh, an underage 10 pin bowling champion. He denied Cara Honeychurch her 10th Australian championship on the trot. Oh, it, little known fact. Little known fact. Outstanding. I remember her glory days. We, we should, when, when we've. Rex finished, Johnson was dominating the lawn bowls. Cara Honeychurch <laughs> on the 10 Rob Perella as well at the lawn. But one day when we have our. When, when we're controlling the, the cricketing world, Jeff, which, mm. you know, might happen in our dreams, um, the 10 pin bowling will be back before one day internationals um, the skiffs will be back at the lunch break of the test cricket um, and uh, and Cara Honeychurch will still be um, knocking them down as will as will our, our subscriber our new subscriber Ross Chapman yes Ross Chapman thanks for your work there we also had one in from someone whose username was only 911 now I don't know if they were confused by trying to do a nerd pledge with the name I don't know if they're a September 11 truther or I don't know if they were trying to call the cops and it worked out badly um, I hope none of those things are true well, if you or is 911 a cricket number because I couldn't think of anything because 9 50 is the highest inning score. Uh, and 903 is the, the, tr- uh, the, the oval, 1938. Mm. Uh, 9411 rings a bell. Nine for well, 9 for 11, if you pop that into Google, you know what's going to happen. It's going to be what Jeff said. It's going to be conspiracy theorists. <laughs> um, it's going to be Matt Bellamy, you know, telling us why. Um, uh, so, yeah, There's that, almost no way, no way to verify this one. But if anybody, if, if 9-11 is actually a cricket thing as well, let us know. You can uh, find Adam or I on Twitter or you can Join email. the street. You can find them in the street. We yeah. got one of those last week, didn't we? We got one last week where we, 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 we said 149. Oh, yeah. We, 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 we stressed that 149 must be Adam Gilchrist because two right. people put it down. But... There was a much better reason for this. It was actually uh, the bowling figures of Bryce McGain in his first and only test oh. match. It was the most expensive <laughs> none for on debut, although actually the most expensive none for, I think, uh, of them all. But the next three on the list were Warren, McGill and Lyon. So really? it wasn't going too badly in terms of, you know, every spinner's had a bad day. Just, that was the Mason just, Crane defence, wasn't it? Yeah. How about Shane Warne bowled badly once 20 years ago? <laughs> yeah. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, he's Shane Warne. Get him in. <laughs> but it wasn't, poor, it wasn't Bryce McGain's fault. He... He happened to have a bad day the first time he got a test match. Had a drop catch as well early on. He did. And, uh, Prince was dropped at backward point. Could Rick, have been very different. And Ricky Ponting was, and Callis almost, uh, he had one just over gully that nearly right. got snared. Ricky Ponting was famously timid about having spinners in his team. Didn't do so well with Nathan Horrocks either, did he? So mm. um, I, I think you can put that one down to um, the, the forearms man. In any case, Rick. Uh, so that was from Alex McLaren last week. That one forty nine was Bryce McGain. Thanks, and, a, Alex. and another clarification: Bernard Sayers two sixteen from last week wasn't actually Clary Grimmett's 
total of test wickets. It was a very niche reference from him for the first test he went to live, 1982 Ashes test in Adelaide. England were bowled out for 216. Lawson, Hogg, Thompson and Yardley did the damage versus Gower, Botham and Tavaray. That's very good. Kim Hughes made 88, hit a couple of sixes in the first innings. I think Greg Chappell made 100. Thank you, Bernard. Test. So Bernard has uh, clarified so that one. But on to this week's ones. Uh, yeah, 9-11, let us know if you can think of it. Andrew Johnson has sent in 205. What is 205? Does 205... I'm going to predict it. Sooner or later, someone is going to use a number that corresponds with the test cap of an Australian or English player. Because every week I suggest you it's probably that. that. Right. So while you're talking to this, I'm going to look for it. I'm kind of infatuated by the, the test scores that aren't taken. Yep. Oh, the lowest scores not achieved. Yes, sort of yeah, thing. yeah. And Which is what, two, is it 229 So or I wondered if it was 205, but... I'm pretty sure 205 must have been done because so many people get just past the 200 and then either freak and out give it or, away, don't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, they, do. they just don't have the grit and determination yeah. to see it through. Or they get declared on, you know, bring up a six on 199. I'm sure Saywag must have had a 205 in the bag somewhere. I know who it is. I reckon I'd call him the least well-known 100-hundreds English cricketer. Possibly. Certainly in terms of the Centurions bar at Surrey, he is. There's a whole slew of them. Andy Sandham, who made 100 first-class 100s, but only played 14 wow. test matches and averaged 38. And he also made the first test triple, didn't he? Uh, look, I'm, I'm going to back you in on that without knowing for sure. Andy Sandham in the West Indies? If, if he did, well, it's worth checking while we've got him, so we don't want to sell him short. But I, I do know that he, that he made in excess of 100 first-class 100s. I'm pretty confident he made the first... Made 107 of them. He made the first test triple, and then he was dropped. Yes, 325. Right, so it's, considering he made 325 in 14, in one of his... So he played 14 tests and only made 879 runs, and, and 325 of those came in one inning. So I'm hoping that's what that's what 205 represents. I think my my nerd pledge would be, given that we're at Lords, it would be the, the spinner to feature on an honours board here. Marcus North. Marcus North. Marcus North. Is he the only spinner? Six for something. Well, certainly he was... Yeah, against but, Pakistan. Against yeah, Pakistan, against Pakistan. Yeah. And, and, well, there's a Pakistani on there now. Um, Yassir took five for here in 2016, that yeah, great test match yeah. here against England. But you're yeah, right, yeah, Marcus, Marcus North is on the, on the honours board and, and shame one. Yeah, well, certainly he's on there and Shane Warne isn't. Yes, that, that's, that's something that has been noticed over the years. There's some pretty good innings of 205 as well, though. Pat, Patsy Hendren, Azar Ali, uh, Neil Harvey, Len Hutton, Ted Dexter. Azar Ali, we were there. We were there. That, that was the day. Wasn't that Azar Ali 100, the one that, the, the, the double 100 where Australia went out and won that afternoon? With Mitchell. Yes, we we, that we the covered one. that game. That's uh, 205. There are various options there. I think we've covered ourselves with a fair bit of ground. Next number. Blake Hampton has sent in 370. Jai Warden, though, 370, or was that... Lara was 375, Sobers was 365. I reckon Mahela made 370. Yeah, I, I haven't got anything no, in the no, game no. on here. This is, this is a, the 370th Test Cricketer for Australia, <laughs> my default option as ever, was... Uh, yeah, it's not a bad one, not a bad one. He's a mate of the show, and he has been a guest of the show, Jason Gillespie. That's got to be. That's it. probably a final yeah. word. It's, it's, ref, isn't it's a final no one's word made reference. Three seventy. I've just found. No, out. no. It, it, that's that's Dizzy. I reckon. So I know Jason listens from time to time to the show. So uh, shout out to you, Dizzy. And, and uh, maybe it's maybe it's him. Pledge. Maybe he's just, who, who, what's the name of the, the maybe pledger? He's just pretending to be Blake Hampton. Blake Hampton. Thanks, Blake. Maybe Jason Gillespie uses the name Blake Hampton on message boards and things <laughs> online. You know. Yeah, restaurant reservations <laughs> and better, hotels. Better, better than my old Merck name, Colo underscore HBK. Because I really like Shawn Michaels, <laughs> the heartbreak kid in the WWF. <laughs> True story. <laughs> you go look it up. 
Three seventy four was mail. <laughs> what, what were you? What was your first hotmail address, Fish? It's oh, always a good question to ask this people. Is dreadful. Come um, on, it was, it's a good question. It was. Uh, oh, this is this is absolutely disgraceful. <laughs> um, so I, I, it was basically what I thought my rap name and or DJ name would be. <laughs> Go on, please so play it on. Was, it was, this isn't a setup, by the way. I've never had this conversation with you. I think you mean v. will be. Not. Vicious V187. Vicious V. Vicious spelled V I S H O U S V. 187 because I do it as a reference for murder. It's a nightmare. The worst thing about this is my bank account got compromised a couple of days ago and a load of transactions were made through iTunes. And so I went, uh, called up iTunes, and I gave them my current email address. They were like, oh, it seems you've got another iTunes account registered on a different email address. And I nearly didn't tell them because I was that embarrassed. And I thought, you know it's what? It's worth I the, money. the money. I don't need the money. And I'm not, I'm not going to... only 800 pounds. Uh, it's fine. I'm not going to come clean with this. My first Hotmail address had an Anaconda Cover reference to it when I was running a, a GeoCities website back in the late 90s. My Anaconda Cover fandom. So uh. all, all the secrets coming out on the final word today. Any more pledges, Jeff? It's time to have an e-hanter-rager. <laughs> <laughs> um, Vish, this one's for you. You'll nail this easily. Brendan Crabb has given us 153. 153. What's what's the famous 153? Well, Lara's 153, yeah. In uh, 99? Yep. Is it? Then when he won the game, nine um, wickets yes, down. Yes, it yeah. was. 153, not out, we should add. Now, Nick Garner... Thank you, Brendan. Thank you, Brendan. Nick Garner sent in 111. I reckon we've had 111 before, and I just immediately said it's Nelson. Now, is he going for another Nelson, or is there something more niche with 111 that I haven't It could be. I've just had a thought on 111, and this is really, really niche. 111 does look like the scorecard for one of my um, teammates, Michael Ollie, who who won the Picket Fence Award um, at at the the last awards night. Here's what I reckon it is. Due to the crossover on on our Twitter feeds and so forth. Richard III came to Sydney in 2011-ish from memory. Wait, hang on. Richard III came to Sydney? The, the, Didn't the, they find him buried under a supermarket <laughs> in like yeah. Luton or something? And, and, and Kevin Spacey was the, um, the lead in that, I reckon it was. And, oh, and the play of the Richard, play of Richard okay. and, and, the, and Brett Lee tweeted about the play. would be amazing if Richard III yeah. came. Brett Lee tweeted about the play quite a bit because he became pals with Kevin Spacey right. through that series based on their Twitter back and forth. And um, he, he referred to their it. Their shared love Richard, for Tony Richard Abbott. Richard 111 was, was uh, how he was referring to the play when he was tweeting it out. Oh. And, I, and I've seen that tweet bob up from time to time. So yeah, I, Richard I do, 111. Shakespeare I, I was wonder, a very busy man. <laughs> I, 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 I do wonder. It, look, it's, it's, a bit, it's a bit niche. But if that's what you were aiming for, Nick, Garner, they're more power to you. Oh, absolutely. I, I, will, I will take that any day of the week. They've got 110th sequel. <laughs> I, um, yeah, the, those moments. I, I was telling you the other week about seeing King Leo with Ian McKellen in it, and let me just tell you, he's <laughs> an impressive individual. Um, I'd seen Gandalf's stuff in the movies. <laughs> I wasn't expecting it on stage. <laughs> Final nerd pledge for the day. And I'm going to assume, so this is from Alex T. I'm going to assume this is the Arctic Monkeys front man. <laughs> Alex Turner, listen, a friend of the show. Big fan. <laughs> big fan of the show. Loves, loves the final word. Vish, this one's probably relevant to the country that we're in. <laughs> 213. It might be relevant to discussions about tournaments in this country. That were played here 20 years ago. 213. Just to put it this way, the, 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 both, ti- both teams ended up on 213 at the end of the match. 
in a World oh, Cup God, played here in 1999. Someone forgot to run. <laughs> Someone forgot to run. Just all you got to do is run, and just listen to. The We're going to have to get Alan Donald on the show at some point. I, I interviewed him a few. Weeks. He's a he's a ripper, and he loves talking about all sorts of stuff. And he'll be in the country, of course. He's at Kent at the moment, isn't he? As an assistant coach. And as we get closer to the World Cup, we will get Alan Donald on, not just to talk about that, but um, all the atmospherics around the, the South African team at the time. He, he's a he'll be a very good guest. Good prompt. That has concluded another round of Nerd Pledge, the accidental numbers game on the patron page of the Final Word Cricket Podcast. If you're involved in this, my God, you are niche. If you would like to get involved, you can go to patron, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash the final word and look up the various things we've got up there. We're chucking up a few extras for patrons only as well. So there's a bits and pieces going up on the page. And of course, you can email us at finalwordcricket at gmail.com or you can message us on Patreon once you've signed up. There are many ways to get in touch let us know about your numbers things we might have missed things we might have got wrong or sign up if you so please it's time for a break on the final word g'day this is australian cricket tragic will anderson and you're listening to the final word but you probably knew that already because it's, it's probably not just on in the background you probably downloaded it and you would have known what it was called so you know that i'm here with jeff lemon and adam collins you know all this why am i even saying this <laughs> You are indeed still on The Final Word. Jeff Lemon here, Adam Collins with me, and as ever, The Final Word brought to you by Kookaburra. If it ain't cooker, it ain't cricket. And you can sign up to kookaburra.biz, that's P-I-Z, to win prizes all through the English summer ahead. So jump online and see what you can pick up in terms of sweet, sweet gear. I spoke to a couple of the members of Team Kookaburra last week running around in the county championship. Indeed, we were, we were commentating Glenn Maxwell's um, first spell at Lords on day one of his championship game against Middlesex there for Lanx. Mm. Then on the fourth day of the game, he went and took five for 40. His first five-wicket haul in county championship cricket, or sorry, in first-class cricket, class cricket, indeed yeah. professional cricket. He made some comment after the game that it's his first five since playing for South Belgrave in 1999 or something, probably not. That was a good five. A, a long, long time ago. He was ragging um, it that day. Yeah, but he was ragging it here. He picked up Owen Morgan first ball, found the edge of Dawa Milan. Like, he's picking up high-quality players, decent wickets. So, And it's while Middlesex were trying to grind out a draw, they were, and they were looking pretty good to do so, and Maxwell was the one who was able to intervene. Well, you saw me abruptly leave. I, I, I said to you, I've got to get to Lords really quickly because I think this game's going to end, and then and then Middlesex were digging in, and, and of course, uh, and uh, Maxwell was, was integral to, to the win, although he did get out in, in rather comical circumstances in the second year. And I called it as well the Sam Robson, who's a, a former well, I guess he's, he's an Australian who lives in England, has played test cricket for England indeed about five years ago. Um, Sam doesn't bowl. Um, in, he's in, an opening batsman. He's very he much an opening. Both. He does eat bowls utter Utter filth. I don't think I don't think you mind me saying this either. And he picked up his third professional wicket, which was the second to fall in Lancashire's chase of thirty nine. And that walks Maxwell, that walks Glenn with, and then with six Need, runs to about, win, yeah. about eleven to win when he came in, and and when he uh, with six to win, he tried to pop. Robson into the into the tavern stand and missed the ball altogether. And then next ball, we tried to pop him into the members with a six to, to win the game, and he got caught a long off. So even though he won the game uh, for Lancashire, his um, his batting average will take a small dent for the fact that he couldn't just get the reading. Because Ben Jones, a friend of our podcast, has been on the guest on the show from Crickviz, said, "Is he allergic to red ink? <laughs> he, he may very well be." But he was in great spirits um, after the uh, after the win and. 
had a chat with him then. He, he, uh, he explained that the, the probability was that he wouldn't be involved in the Australia race stuff because he's got a contract with Lanks that, that takes him through till the Ashes and, and beyond after the World Cup. And he's probably the one guy in the Australian World Cup squad who will want to play in the Ashes but isn't already sort of embedded in the side. So he's going to have to try and find his way into the Ashes squad from you know, the one-day World Cup team, which is in mm. sort of a slightly odd place to be. Is he still using that one kookaburra bat that he's in love with? Or I meant is to that ask only him. for internationals? Does he not get it out for <laughs> county stuff? I neglected to ask him. That's a good question. Thanks for being here at the time. I should, I should have raised that with him. But he, um, he, uh, he certainly used it to good effect when he was playing in India earlier in the year. So, yeah, Glenn... Um, he, was he, ha- he was just playing in the way that's going to win England the World Cup. You know, <laughs> fearless. You've got, to, you've got to try to win it with a six. There's no, if you're coming out with six to win, there's no point doing it in singles, surely. No, sure enough. And speaking of sixes, uh, the other member of Team Kookaburra that we spoke to last week on the video edition of The Final Word, which is hosted, of course, by Wisdom.com, is, uh, was Peter Siddle. We, we said he had two wickets when we were talking on the pod last week. He turned that into a bag of six. I think four of them have played Test cricket, and the other one's Will Jacks, who's almost certainly going to play Test cricket in about five minutes from now. So Siddle, not only still taking wickets with the Red Bull for Essex, not only still you know, dominating county championship play, but, but doing it in the right summer against high-quality opposition in Division 1 you, you just can't you can't stop I can't let the thought go that even though he's sort of a little bit one out and one back at the moment that come July when they announce the final Ashes squad that Siddle uh, will be there He's not on the contract list, but he could he could come from the clouds. Uh, so do the right thing by Kookaburra. If you know some budding cricketers who are uh, making their way in the game, jump online, see if you can win some free kit, kookaburra.biz. The Australian squad's out. The Australian contract list is out. The Australia A one-day squad is out. The Australia A four-day squad is out. Uh, everybody in the country is involved in some way or another. and They're all coming over here. It's, it's a mass migration of Australians to England for the summer. Pretty much anyone who's anything in cricket is making the, um, making the, the well-worn trip for the, sort of every, what, the quadrennial trip to England. But usually it's just the Ashes squad. But on this occasion, the, the rare instance of it being a World Cup does, uh, does mean that there are going to be a lot of cricket in this country at the same time. The women as well, of course, ahead of the women's ashes. So the World Cup squad, largely as expected, batting-wise, Finch, Kowaja, Maxwell, Sean Marsh, Steve Smith, Marcus Stoinis, David Warner. Bowling-wise, Pat Cummins, Nathan Coulton-Isle, Nathan Lyon, Jai Richardson, Mitchell Stark, Adam Zampa, and Jason Berendorf is uh, rounding out that squad, the left-arm paceman. So not... A lot of surprises. I suppose we knew that someone was likely to miss out with Smith and Warner coming in. Peter Hanscom and Ashton Turner were the unlucky ones, given they both played such a big role in India, especially in, in that massive run chase, that 359 they ran down in the third match of the India yep. series. That's what turned the tide. You know, Australia had been losing for two years, and that was the game that, that made them think, hang on, we can do this. Yeah, I thought they would go with Turner. I thought he'd be irresistible. Uh, Dan Bredig made a good point that often successful World Cup sides have had a player in there who's not been overly exposed to international cricket so not too bruised by the experience mm. and Turner felt like he might be a neat fit for that especially given how adept he is at finishing off games of white ball cricket whether it be in the Big Bash or, uh, or in well now we've seen albeit with a small sample size for Australia so he's unfortunate to miss out uh, and I think it, what might have fed into it is that, that he can't throw I'm not sure if Trevor Haynes made this point but someone did that Turner's got a, a shoulder problem which might have hurt him with Smith also right. unable to really throw at the moment due to his elbow surgery 
back in January and, and I guess uh, Peter Hanscom was the other as you mentioned who w- was hard done by Hones made the point that it was a straight choice between Smith and Hanscom which was instructive I felt so um, they, they're, they felt they're seen as like for like that sort of yeah, rotation middle yeah. order, order play I just feel like Hanscom's playing better at the moment I mean Smith has struggled in the IPL he struggled in one day cricket before he got banned he struggled to sort of get moving you know to have that to be able to pick up the pace and that's what Hanscom's been so impressive at he can he's done the rotation thing for 20 overs through the middle but he's got the ability to explode at the end yeah and and also the fact that he could have kept wicket now I know that you're going with some risk not having a full-time keeper doing the job but it's worth noting that Hanscom does do the job in 50 over cricket for Victoria and they won the comp this year he was player of the match in the 50 over final I think he took four catches and a couple of very important ones in the context of that final at the Junction Oval so uh, I, I would and Kerry's yet to show with the bat that he is good enough to dominate at this level. He can contribute, but dominates another thing altogether, whereas yeah. Hanscom has had the ability to do that on a couple of occasions. So, yeah, I, I think that they were the controversial decisions alongside probably Jai Richardson being picked despite the fact that he's injured. It's worth noting here that and they Mitchell do have Stark, him. you know, still has that pectoral injury. So they've got two True. injured fast bowlers who have to come good by the time the action starts. Yeah, and this is where like picking so many players to come over here in the A squad is to their advantage. Much there are like three wicket keepers in the A squad, I think. Yeah, well, well, Vish made the point that that England deserves well by being a home World Cup. Australia are trying to make it a home World Cup by having the squad here. So if it were to be the case that uh, any of those quicks fell over, well, Hazelwood's the, the easiest like for like of all time because he has played well in a, in a World Cup campaign. He was man of the match in the quarter final four years ago, bowled really nicely in the final, if memory serves me correctly as well. So, And a player of considerable international experience, just waiting on the wings. Likewise, Kane Richardson, who's played plenty of white ball cricket in the last four years since the last World Cup. It could be brought in at short notice. So if Joe Richardson doesn't quite get up from that injury, or, or it is the case that Stark needs a bit longer, they do have that flexibility. And with Zampa and Lyon, they've got the option to play two spinners in one match, which is unusual for Australia, but they might realise that it's necessary at times. Yeah, I'm not sure if it were that you were saying, Jeff, a couple of weeks ago, it might have been someone over here, that the way they'll set the pitches up um, here for the World Cup is they'll only use the, the two or three in the middle for television reasons, so you won't use a pitch on the far edge of the square. Um, so it, it's likely to be the case that much like the Champions Trophy in this country two summers ago, that uh, the pitches will deteriorate as the tournament goes on. They'll, they won't be as fresh, which will mean that, that spin will play a much bigger role at the back end. Of course, it'll be the middle of summer, uh, and the summers here have been warmer in recent years. I mean, last year it was above 30 for the bulk of July, and that's when the, the pointy end of this tournament takes place. So that might be where Nathan Lynham, I mean, he's got 370 international wickets next next to his name, never had the chance to play in a major tournament uh, in the pyjamas for Australia before. So he'll, um, he'll, you know, he's got the right kind of temperament for, for big time cricket. We know that. And Zampa was, I'm, I'm thrilled that they went with Zampa, um, an aggressive leg spinner, um, someone who showed in 2017 that he has the ability to really compete at this level. It might have been 2016, actually, where he was the leading wicket taker in the world. Um, and gets his chance after in I think it was the 2017 Champions Trophy really barely got a go mm. um, so they've and, and, and it's worth noting that four years ago in the World Cup Glenn Maxwell was the main spinner Xavier Doherty barely got a chance so it shows how you know I guess 50 over cricket has evolved since that um, that tournament in Australia not just with the batting and the, and the hyperinflation we've seen of scores but also with the emphasis on spin especially wrist spin so it should be a, a really interesting tournament for those who love that discipline and the batting at the top order is um, it's relatively simple. It's four into three, so someone gets squeezed because you assume that Steve Smith is playing at four to yep. do that middle order role because they've got two all rounders yep. to come after that. 
at the top, Finch and Kawaja have been playing so well together. If Warner came back into open, Kawaja you'd think would drop to three. Would that mean Sean Nash gets squeezed out? But Sean Nash has made a bunch of hundreds recently batting at three as well. So there's really no good way to resolve that um, unless they get funky, yeah. as we were talking about the other week, and maybe have Warner come in down the list, coming at six or something to be a finisher, to be a strike rotator and, and a powerhouse at the end, which I think he could do really well. But I think... It does it, seem unlikely, though, yeah, doesn't Australia's it? a bit too boring to try that. And also just the way that Finch was talking the other day um, in response to the squad announcement, saying that you know they've kind of got three openers and, and two of them will open um, a, a left and a right, so he's you know assuming he will be one of those two, which makes sense. That's the, uh, the, the, prerogative, the prerogative of the captain, you decide the batting order, uh, and and I and you know I sort of feel as though um, Warner with fourteen one day hundreds, it's just too easy to put him there. Um, Kawaja following them in, I don't think that's a, a major issue, which which does squeeze Sean Marsh. Is. I just think that Kawaja has that's where he's worked. He's worked at, at one because he's that bit slower. You can't necessarily afford to have him going at the pace he does at three. If he comes in after a, you know, twenty overs or so, I, I would open Kawaja. For what it's worth, I'd bat Warner at three. I mean, for that reason, it, we've seen Warner. He's at his most lethal in the IPL in the middle overs. Those ten overs in the middle, he's a free. I mean, as I think you pointed out to me the other day, Jeff, he's 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 had more ones and more twos than any player in the IPL yep. this year. So that's so his, he's not all wash for, whack back attack. No, yeah, no, no, he, far from it. He'll, he can go for the bowling when he needs to, but he rotates so well and he just builds the score up like that. So if you're choosing between Warner and Sean Marsh, if that's what the equation becomes, then for mine it's a fairly easy one. And, and Sean Marsh, much as it's been for the oh, last 13 years of his life, he becomes the reserve batsman as he has been on so many Australian tours over so, the journey. So work this one out for me. Put the World Cup squad up against the contract list. Out of the 15 okay. players in the World Cup squad, 14 of them are on the contract list. The one player who is not is Jason Berendorf. Yep. So he does not have a central contract, despite being in the World Cup squad. Um, I suppose on the presumption that he's not necessarily going to play that much, but he's in the first T20 team. So you, you, yeah, but think- but I can kind of see. I can see where. I mean, he probably isn't in the first choice T20 side like going forward when everyone's fit. But look, I, I think but that's he okay. Been. He has been for the last year or so. Oh, look, I, I don't think it was last year. When Australia played their best T20 cricket last year, it was in the two tri-series, the one in um, Australia and New Zealand and the one in Zimbabwe. And, and, in, and in that side, it was actually Billy Stanlake um, who was playing the mm. opening bowler role. And he, he, Whilst he's fallen off the radar a little bit, Stanlake, AJ Ty, Kane Richardson, um, uh, Jai Richardson, and then kind of the auxiliary um, with Pat Cummins played a little bit, Josh Hayeswood played a little right. bit. So I guess the point I'm making is, is that um, I can see why Berendorf hasn't got a contract right now, but he has every opportunity to earn an incremental one if he does play a role in the World Cup. That's that's the sort of backup option. If you don't get a contract and then you play a ton of games for Australia, you, you get, get one you eventually. You get one anyway. Yep. Okay, so what's interesting to me is for the 14 of the players in the World Cup squad, then you've got a couple of test specialists on the contract list in Tim Payne, Josh Hazelwood, Marcus Harris, Travis Head. Obviously, they've all played in the... Yep. Well, aside from Harris, they played in the one-day team at some point and could, but they're, they're seen as test players for the time being. Yep. James Pattinson's got a contract which indicates he's going to play a big part in the Ashes if fit. Pete Hanscom's Go got a thing. contract, despite having been left out of the one-day squad, having been dropped from the test team um, earlier in the year and uh, not really featuring in, in the T20 side necessarily. So he's got a contract. Mm. That's about, Sean, I think that's... A, oh, you, okay, and, you, and here's the interesting part. Sean Marsh has a contract, despite being the probably the spare batsman in, in the World Cup squad, not in the first 11. 
He's not in the T20 side and he's been dropped from the test team. So what's interesting to me is what's he going to do over the next year that means that he needs a contract if he's only going to play the World Cup and then there's not a lot of 50 over cricket after that for the next year because they're largely playing T20s right. to prepare for the T20 World Cup. I think I know where you're heading with this, Jeff. Well, it's just <laughs> curious to me. Though, what, what else is he going to do well, to well, contribute? Well, I mean, it, there's a couple of ways of looking at this, but one would be that he's expected to play test cricket again. Hmm. Um, and I did, didn't I tell you? Didn't I tell him? You did. I told him. And it's basically the first happened. test if Sean Marsh comes in. I know that uh, that will that will encourage James Anderson and Stuart Broad, I'm, I'm sure. But I don't know. I think it's probably more interesting, the Hanscom story on, in all of this, is that that's a bit of a, for mine, a vote of faith in the future for him. They, they see him as a, if not a leader in this side, they see him as a big personality within it, a, a three-format player, a versatile player. Um, Who doesn't get a picked state in any of the formats? Yeah, I know, I know, but he, but he, I mean, but he does. He did play the Test match at Sydney earlier this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't take much for Hanscom to end up back in the eleven. Is what I'm trying to say, I right. suppose. So. Um, Whereas Shaw Marshall is a fraction more curious. I mean, he, he's got a contract and his brother, who's the, the vice captain of the test side, doesn't. So, well, I don't and, think and I he's heard, the vice captain of the test side anymore, is he? Well, I mean, would he be, though? If, yeah. if, if, if Mitchell Marsh in, was picked for Australia in the next test... Does he automatically get it back? He, he probably would. I mean, yeah. you think on, on rights, you would in, in that scenario. Is I haven't like, really thought like about herpes? that. It, it just goes dormant, but it's never quite gone away. <laughs> you can speak to that. I'm not going to possibly dig into that terrain. <laughs> uh, but um, I heard Justin Langer talking about... It's best not to dig. Just leave it alone. Yeah, I heard Justin Langer talking about this on, on Adam White and Daniel Harford's show on RSN during the week, and he made the point that it's very hard to leave Mitch off because he's his little brother and and that um and that his and dad Marsh is that his dad, dad Jeff Marsh is he's like his dad so that was um he's related uh, to a lot of people yeah well Marnus Labuschagne oh that's that's another one Marnus Labuschagne's not on the contract list another one no. he's described as probably described as his little brother at one at, one stage or another point. yeah um, you know but also he, wants to introduce a lot of people to his daughters Aaron so Fitch all, was the they're um, all related to him yeah he, but he wants to I, that, I don't his daughters in that same interview he said right. that he that his um that his daughter's favourite cricketer is Aaron Finch okay it's my well, favourite cricketer as well so no, no big issue there my whole like aim for my career is just to get hug from Aaron Finch one day. Yeah. He just seems like such a huggable man. Tender man. Yeah. I mean, he's, he, he's all very serious at the moment, <laughs> being the captain, but I'm like, Aaron, if you're listening, just give me a hug. Just, just one. Can we, can we talk about Marnus Labuschagne here? Sure. I think he's stiff not to get a contract. I'm not saying he should be in the test team, but he he's, played, he's played a lot of test cricket, and last time I checked, he was the incumbent number three. You don't see the incumbent Australian number three missing out on a contract. Mind you, Sean Marsh did two years ago, and he was probably the number three when he lost his contract as well. But mm. Labuschagne did make 100 last week for Glamorgan on County Debut. Uh, I think he will be in the Ashes squad. Um, maybe as a reserve bat. So I, 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 I in the extended 45-man squad that yeah. we've got touring England. But I, I guess what I'm comparing that to is Sean Marsh. So if Sean Marsh isn't in the test setup right now right. and probably and won't is. play beyond the World Cup, I, yeah. I would have thought the person with a, you know, with 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 a claim on on a national contract would be would be Marnus. In saying that, um, he's destined for a long international career. I think he, he's being invested in heavily. Um, whereas Shaw Marsh obviously now is is he thirty five now, maybe even thirty six, heading in that direction. He's older than we are. So um, either way, he, he he this will be his last contract, presumably. I tell you what, I just have to type the letter S into my browser, oh God, and the first true. result that comes up is Shaw Marsh. I, I'm watching him do this as we speak. And that's not even for effect. The other thing is, you know, on on some browsers where it tells you you visited this page four times or whatever, the thing that comes up for me on that page is that you have visited this page many times. <laughs> <laughs> it is absolutely true. Thirty five. Years two hundred and eighty two right. days. So he'll turn he'll turn thirty six while he's in the UK this year. Mm. So, well, he's back in pog form. He, he'll be he'll be he'll be in the uh, he'll, he'll 
he'll play a test this summer. You, you can just see it. He'll, he's off to county cricket he after the World Cup. I as well, called so. it first. I called it at our live show. He did. Um, it, it's going to happen. I can feel it in my bones. And you know what? I almost welcome it. Bring it on. It's going to feel like a homecoming once more. Uh, like like it, Australia could win the World Cup. Who knows? Let's have a look at India quickly because somehow we've managed to talk for nearly an hour. On it. Every time we're like, was this going to be enough to fill the time? It's a short and, podcast. Yeah, just a short. We'll just a short, sharp one this week. You'll bang it out real quick, and it, put and you on the plane, send you home, and we'll go and do something else an hour and a half it later. It ends up being yeah, an hour and 15 <laughs> minutes, and, and here we are. So the India squad, the lack of surprises, the obvious picks uh, in the in the top order, Virat Kohli, Shikhar Dhawan, and Rohit Sharma opening the batting, MS Dhoni coming in in the middle order. They're the obvious ones. The uh, Hopefully a four. I really hope that. I know he won't because Shanker probably will bat four, but I want to see Dhoni play that role in the middle. I want to see him bat for a long period of time and build innings. That's and just kind of my prediction at the moment. I've been banging on about it all year. You have to put the foot down a little bit more. Yeah. The, um, the excellent pace bowling trio, Jasprit Bumrah, Bhuvnesh Wakuma, Mohamed Shami, but only a trio. They haven't got a backup seamer, basically. So if they want to play a three quicks attack and someone goes down, they'd have to draft a, another quick in the squad. I suppose they'd, they'd factor in using Hardik Pandya more often than True. not. And he would, he would bowl a lot of it. So if they wanted to play three spinners or two and a half spinners on average mm. they'll play two they might sometimes play three yep. um, they've got obviously Yuvendra Chahul the leg breaker yep. Kuldeep Yadav the left arm wrist spinner and Ravinder Jadeja who is going to be more an all-rounder in this squad really isn't he they'll, they'll use yeah. him at six or seven if required probably seven I probably seven yeah I don't yeah. think he'd go any higher than that but he's he's so good at bowling ten overs none for 35 yeah and then saving about three boundaries a backward point and maybe pulling off a run out or a worldly catch so he just adds so much uh, with fielding and they did single out his fielding in the squad announcement so the the sort of fill-in players in the middle order the less convincing batsmen I suppose Kale Rahul who's been here and there and in and out of the side and mm. hasn't really been backed of late but he's been back to the last instance Vijay Shankar's they're, they're using him as an all-rounder he can bowl a bit of seam but he's also the kind of part-timer who's liable to be absolutely pounded on one day you know one or two games he'll get well, demolished well there was that was it a t20 against australia where you had like none for 13 off one over and then coley brought him back for the final over to close it out so they've got some faith was, in the yeah in that the was a, i can't remember if it was a 50 over or it might have been one of the first couple of one days that, that um that by play on hmm. twitter he, uh, he got he got Marcus Stoinis out, and Stoinis needed yeah something like thirteen off the last, and couldn't get it. And then Kedar Jadav, who's the the, the the very short of stature, and then bowls on one knee um, as he oh. gets down for about a four foot two release point. Reminds me of Purnam Yadav's release point with her with her spin, the Indian woman bowler. Well, it, but she's a much better bowler than he is. I should mm. add, he bowls absolute filth, but it works. It works. It's accurate, and he, and he, you know, when I say it, it looks filthy, it, it, it's quite effective. It's quite hard to get away. So yeah. they're the they're the I guess the weak links in the batting, the ones that. That the, this is the point where this India side isn't quite convincing for me. You've got you've got some great players. Rohit Sharma can make double hundreds. Virat Kohli and Dhoni are the two best chasers in the history of one day cricket. Really, apologies to Michael Bevan, but yeah. their numbers exceed him dramatically. But then you've got these three relatively weak links. These three unconvincing batsmen through that middle part of the innings. Yeah, and I, I think that that might inform why they've gone with Dinesh Kartik, who has been around the international game for you know the best part of a decade now, ahead of Richard Pant, who's the incumbent 
Test wicketkeeper and such an explosive player. I mean, they've both played at different times and certainly Punt was playing um, against Australia in that five-game series recently. But Kartik, we saw his cool head on display at Adelaide when he and Dhoni chased down a fairly hefty total back in January in the heat. Um, so that, that might that might be why he got the Guernsey because it is a little bit light on for those reserve bats. Um, Vijay Shankar got the gig according to MSK Prasad, the, the chief selector, because of his three-dimensional capacity. Yes, what VJ offers is three-dimensional, he said, and so so Shankar got the spot ahead of Ambati Rayudu who mm. then jumped on Twitter and this said, good. I'm buying myself a pair of 3D glasses to watch the World Cup. <laughs> Always love a good blowout on Twitter when someone misses out on the squad. So <laughs> when, it's, when it's cheeky as that, it works out very well. It was very nice. Um, I enjoyed that an awful lot. They, they've got to be They've got to be equal favourites, don't they, still, though? I mean, I, I, think, I, I that, think so much rests on Hardik Pandya. He's back in the right. squad after a pretty shocking um, turn where, well, he had a shocker where he jumped on TV and made some reprehensible comments yeah. and got dropped from the dropped from the squad and wasn't taken out to Australia, but he's he's back in the team now. You only need a couple of months and then you, you know, <laughs> oh, redemption story. How many redemption <laughs> stories are we going to have? Bloody hell, Tiger Woods, David Warner, Steve Smith, Hardik Padge, as long as you go away for a bit. I wonder ret- we'll have a redemption story one day. We'll go too far and we'll say something that, that warrants sanctioning and we'll have yeah. to decide how long we're, we're on the bench for. I'll have to suspend you from our podcast <laughs> which means it's going to be really awkward for me just sort of feeling an hour and 15 minutes on my own but I was reading some piece about Andrew Gaff this week he's come back and played a couple of good games of football so that means redemption Redemption. You know, he's played two good games of football everything's fine uh, my issue there less with Andrew Gaff the the AFL player than with the reporting of his story which is ludicrous but Hardy Paddy though we saw him in the world uh, the Champions Trophy yep. final I mean what smashed 90 odd in 40 odd balls made 100 on debut at test level hits one of the longest balls in international cricket yeah. and he can bowl very brisk and very Oh handy. yeah that fire for he took at Trent Bridge in a test match last year where England got bowled out in a session proved that he can move the ball around he's sharp he bowls above that sort of 142 143 mark in, in the new money near enough to 90 mile an hour in the old so um, Hardik Pandya yeah especially when they've been sort of Making, they've been using um, uh, Keda Yadav as their fifth bowler and sometimes their sixth bowler. If you, you know, can replace him with Hardik Pandya, that that is a significant advance on what they had in the in the last ten one day internationals they played. Yeah, suddenly the potency with bat and ball goes through the roof. So, but they should be favourites, right? Like equal. I mean, not not. I think England are favourites. I think India have every right to say, notwithstanding their their loss to, yeah. to Australia recently, like they, they think, with Kohli. I think England are favourites, but with a higher possibility of screwing it up massively on just on one day. And I think India are slightly less favourites, but they'll be more consistent. They'll be more reliable. Maybe I think England should win this tournament comfortably. But if the, that is, I don't necessarily think that the team reflects that cynicism that we spoke about. Um, with Vish before about how England fans see this side. I think every England player you talk to at the moment, they're, they're Rancho Relaxo. They're, they're, they're totally at ease with where things are at. So uh, to that end, I, I think England, England will win. But um, India are, are on the next line for me and, and sort of well back then you've got, I think, Australia and, and New Zealand and South Africa as the next three who, who could, you know, cause an upset if one of the two big dogs goes down in the semi-final. We will be looking at some of those teams in more depth over the weeks ahead. We haven't necessarily planned that out yet, but we'll work it out as we go. We'll get there. Uh, we've got a few other bits and pieces. We've got our Ian Chapel interview will come up in the next couple of weeks, maybe the first week of May once we get around to deciding that we're going to release it. We've got various things in the pipeline. We don't plan things. We don't make promises because we don't know what's happening most of the time. But we do know that we're very glad to have all of you listening along to another episode of The Final Word as we wind it up.
Yeah, thanks as ever for those who've jumped on iTunes and backed us in there. Thanks to the patron subscribers. Thanks to those who've reached out on Twitter about the numerology uh, nerd pledge game. Thanks to those who've been in touch about the live podcast shows that we're going to do during the Ashes series. We're getting closer to finalising arrangements for those at the moment. As soon as we do, you'll be the first people we tell. Uh, and, and just another reminder that when, when we hit the World Cup, which starts on the 30th of May, we're going live every single day. So we are going this is going daily. to be a, this is going to be a, a, a lot of a, a lot of final word coming at you about 15 to 20 minutes each day so if you are if you are getting up in Australia if that's where you live the m- most people listen to this podcast do if the first thing you do is wake up and chuck on um, this podcast you'll hear what's happened overnight you're going to get to know the train stations of England very well <laughs> indeed because we're going to be on the move almost constantly we've been planning out the schedule and it is relentless absolutely brutal and last but absolutely not least uh, or last pair of thank yous to Jay Mueller and Bad Producer at Productions, make sure you jump on their social media streams and follow a whole bunch of great podcasts that they produce. We're proud to be part of their family. And of course, Kookaburra Cricket. If it ain't Cooker, it ain't Cricket. Thanks for being with us all the way. Absolutely. So if you want to check out the Patreon page, remember it's patreon.com slash the final word. You can email us at finalwordcricket at gmail.com or look up either of us on Twitter and we'll be back uh, once I'm back on the other side of the world and we're with your trophy, with your, with your suitcase full of trophies. Brought an empty suitcase and I'm taking it home <laughs> with uh, two papers certificates in it so yeah <laughs> not not entirely true but it's been a lovely week and and i should offer a thanks to everybody in the cricket writing community in london who've been absolutely wonderful to me this week it, it's hard to be sincere we're not used to being sincere i'm just resort to facetiousness by nature but it it means a huge amount to be acknowledged in the way that i have by wisdom and the mcc in the last week and to everyone who's read the book and written to me about it and talked to me about it there are so so many of you i I really appreciate it thank you for that that's a lovely place to wind it up this has been the final word with adam collins and jeff lemon we can't wait to talk to you again next week i had to go about it right